The Plumley Pod, episode 59. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to The Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley. And today's special guest has been worth waiting for, let me tell you. This is the one time in my entire life as a truther that I have had a letter or an email to say, do you know what? You were right about that. You know that letter that you never get? Doesn't matter what you're right about, whether it's 9-11, 7-7, doesn't matter if you're right about weapons of mass destruction not existing in Iraq. Never matters. You never, ever get an apology. You never, ever, ever get even an admission that you were right all along. Well. I'm a very lucky lady because I got one such email titled You Were Right All Along and it's from the gentleman I'm about to speak to this morning. So who is it? Well, the guy's so special that we can't reveal his identity because to do so might endanger him and his family. He's a school governor, so we're going to call him the secret school governor. He is, of course, a father, a husband and a school governor of a primary school, let's say in the Midlands in England, for those of you who are outside of the UK. well. Welcome, good morning, and please could you start off by telling us how on earth you came to be a school governor? The process that led me to becoming a governor happened over a couple of years. It started when my daughter first started going to primary school. It was during the first week she came home, and I can't quite remember if it was around going to the toilet or around bath time, but she said, oh, daddy, you're not allowed to take me to the toilet anymore, or you're not allowed to bath me anymore. And if you touch my privacy, to use that word, I need to tell somebody at school. So I was like, what the hell is this? What's she going on about? So the next day when I took her in, I went, the school, it's a traditional primary school, the head stands out at the front to greet all the parents and children. So I just pulled her to side and asked her what it was. And she says, oh, that'll be because of the RSE talk. They use an outside company and they'd been in the day before. And she's like, oh, she'll be getting a little bit confused about what they've said. I'll have a chat with her later on, if you'd like me to. Sorry, just to clarify for those outside the UK, RSE is Relationship Sex Education, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Thank you. So you've spoken to the head and she's like, oh, your daughter's confused, I'll chat to her. Hmm, sounds fishy, go on. (laughs) Yeah, so she had a chat with her that afternoon. Daughter came home in the evening. She was a little bit annoyed that I'd spoke to the head about it. Anyway, it sort of got cleared up. And during the conversation with the head, she was like, oh, well, a letter went out on the first day of school. We have a parents' evening where the company comes and they tell you everything that they're going to discuss. So I made a sort of mental note of that to go to this evening the following year. Now, if I didn't know the people at the school like I do, I would think it's purposely done in the first week, like the... Parents' talk could be on the first day your children go back to school and the talk's immediately the day after, so you don't really get a chance to digest the information. Anyway, the following year, so now we're on to year one, I go to this talk and I've got to say the emotions I felt during that talk, I don't think I've ever had such overwhelming, conflicting emotions all at once. There was sort of anger, bewilderment. I just could not believe it. Just to sort of give you some examples of what they were showing, 
this is stuff to reception year one. So we're talking four or five. There was an image, which was a cartoon image. From the back, it's a girl. She's got long hair. She's wearing a dress. And then she's looking into a mirror. And the reflection in the mirror is a boy. And this was, the lady said, when we show this image, we say, not everybody looks on the outside, how they feel on the inside. And then she started describing lots of different things which could be connected to a child having social anxiety, could be connected to a child who at home their parents were abusive. It could be connected to anything. And the way I saw it was a child could be going through that, see this image and think, oh, that's me. Uh, that's how I feel. I don't feel on the inside how I look on the outside. So that was just one of the things. And then as it progressed through the start-up, there was showing like a cartoon image of pornography, but it wasn't too explicit. But I was just like, well, why are they showing this? And there was like, oh, this is too... So we tell children that's not everything is suitable for them. And I was just like, well, why bring it up then if it's not suitable for them? The minute you show a child something that's not suitable for them, it piques curiosity. Yeah. As a young person and perhaps as a, an adult, you want something that you can't have, don't you? You're, yeah. you're a little bit more curious, a little bit more interested in things that are perhaps naughty or something that you're not allowed, something that's forbidden. This harks back to forbidden fruit. I don't think it's silly. I think it's malign that they're showing children something that, quote unquote, isn't suitable for them. And that's coming from the RSE educators, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Says it all. And I forgot to mention that at this meeting, there was probably only five of us. So there'd be five parents out of a school that's got like 200 children there. And again, that was something that shocked me. There were two ladies there who, who I'm presuming were partners because they asked a question. They was like, well, what do you do if you've got a child in your class and they're from like a gay couple? And then the lady who was doing the presentation, her eyes lit up then, and she was like, oh, what we do is we make a big fuss of them. We drag them to the front of the class and we say how special they are because they come from this relationship and everything. And then I was just like thinking, well, so on one minute you're telling us everyone has to be treated equal and it's not about highlighting anything as being special or different or anything. We just all accepted each other. But yet this one, you would pull a kid up and you'd make, not like a show of him, but you're like presenting him as something special because he's become from a same-sex relationship. It was just like, this just seems absolutely mad and the opposite of what you're saying it is. Ironically, it would be a miracle if a boy had come from uh, <laughs> two mummies, wouldn't it? That would be something special. But uh, as I'm assuming, we're not talking about immaculate conception here. I'm presuming that somebody's had a divorce or whatever and has decided they're a lesbian. Yeah. Very nice, but why make a show? Quite, and it's. I don't know why we would be doing that in front of other children because why should it be desirable necessarily? Why should you make it look desirable to be from a same-sex relationship. I don't understand why, on the face of it, why they would be doing that. Because children, when they see a fuss in a good way, a positive fuss being made of other children, they naturally covet that. That's something that they want to be made a fuss of, don't they? They want a certificate for 100% attendance or they want to, you know, win the medal at sports day. But to make out that, I mean, this isn't a supposedly an immutable fact, isn't it? That if you've come from a same-sex family, that that's not your fault. You didn't do anything to earn that either, did you? Yeah. Like, it's not something you didn't train really hard to win that cup or win that race. You didn't, you know, learn how to speak French to win that beautiful French poetry competition. You're being celebrated because you happen to have two mums instead of a mum and a dad. Is that what they're doing here? 
Yeah, it's just reminded me of them. I'll go a bit deeper into what this company actually does for the school. It's to meet the needs of having to produce or do this RSE within the school. So they, you pay this company and they'll write your policies. They'll come in and do the training. They'll give teachers any guidance on doing other things. And part of their policy, it's got this quote of what a quality is. And I just wanted to read it to you to get your thoughts on what you think of this one. Bearing in mind of what we just spoke about, you would pull a boy to the front of the class if he was from a gay family. Equality is not always about treating everyone the same, but about treating people so the outcome can be the same. I think that's equity. I don't think that's equality at all. When you start talking about equality of outcome, that's communism. That you yeah. can't have equality of outcome. If I go up against you on the high jump, you're going to win. I don't even know how tall you are, but I'm five foot one. So I'm guessing because you're a guy, you're going to win, right? Yeah. Like, it's not possible for us to have equity in the high jump. We can have equality though, because we can set the bar at a certain height and we'll see if we both clear it or just one of us clears it. So I have yeah. a chance of clearing it, even though obviously the higher the bar goes at some point, I'm going to have to drop out because I'm just not going to make it. We're lying to children, aren't we? We're lying to very, very young children. What an absolutely disgraceful comment. What was alarming is the, just going back to how you presented that, is the idea that this is an outside company coming into school. Oh, we'll take care of it all for you. Yeah. That means little to no oversight. That means a head teacher is basically signing off on something she's probably not even read. Head teachers have a lot of, a lot of paperwork these days. It's very, very hard to be a traditional head teacher and do the actual job that most of us think is the job of a head teacher. A head teacher now more behaves like a business manager. They hardly have any interaction with children, some interaction with parents. Most of it is paperwork. And I suspect that having an outside company come in to do this sort of thing is extremely dangerous because then you're not getting individual teachers with their own minds making moral judgments and moral assessments of the material that's coming into their classrooms. For example, I taught in a very poor school towards the end of my career down south, down in the south of England. I say towards the end of my career, of course, I mean the end of my mainstream school career. I'm not that old, but towards the end, I taught in this school where we wouldn't be able to afford to pay somebody to come in and do this. So we would have to deliver RSE ourselves. But there's loads of things that came to my classroom that I simply refused to teach because I didn't know where it had come from. And also, you're asking a non-specialist since when was a geeky maths teacher a specialist on sex? Like, sorry, I don't think that's a very smart combination. Go and ask the biology teacher. I think she probably knows a bit more about it than I do. So I, I just on the principle of, you know, that I'm not actually trained to teach any of this stuff. But on the other side of it, it was the morality of it. It's like, I'm not talking about this. I'm not sure that all of the parents of all of these children would be very happy if I taught these young teenagers this stuff. So I just, I used to ignore it and do other things, extra maths, extra English do some real subjects in the time that we were supposed to be doing this. So it's now called RSE. It used to be called other things in the past. Yeah, absolutely horrifying that it's being done on outside because it, to me that suggests it lacks proper oversight, in particular from a moral perspective, would you say? I can see why you would say that. And I personally probably agree. From the school's point of view, we're back to that nonsense of trusting experts. They <laughs> see this company as an expert they're one of the bigger ones. They've got a lot of schools. The founder comes from a safeguarding background within a local authority. I tell you a point, but why would we be celebrating a student 
for doing something they hadn't even done. So just on the point of as a teacher, I would say, hang on a minute, I don't care what the content even necessarily is in this moment of, of the RSE. Yeah. I'd be just going, hang on a minute, why are we celebrating and applauding somebody for something they didn't do? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's just completely ridiculous. That's not being a proper teacher. That's not doing your job. You know, I'd be going to the head and saying, hang on a minute, we should be celebrating people for things that they have a choice over. If I've got a scar on my face, I didn't choose that. It happened to me, right? So whether it's good or bad, I shouldn't be celebrated for it. And I think it's a really terrible thing to teach children that you get celebrated for something that you didn't even work for, that you didn't even try for. I think that's a terrible, horrible, horrible message just from like a basic teaching point of view. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. I'm just trying to explain from the teacher's point of why view. Why they're doing it. Why they're doing it. And the longer I've been within the school as a governor, I've seen there's a culture, and I imagine it's the same in all schools, of you just don't, they don't question. It's like they've been trained just to trust experts, follow orders, because there's been a few times where you'll know yourself at schools, you're constantly having to have audits. Someone from the local authority will want to come in and check that you're meeting the needs of all the SEND children or do a safeguarding check, do a phonics check, all these different checks. And at the end of it, they'll do a report and they'll say, oh, you're doing all this good, but we just recommend that you do this. 99 times out of 100, the school will just be, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. There's been a time where it was a safeguarding check and they was like, oh, they've said... Um, we need to introduce lanyards, so there'll be a lanyard for teachers, a lanyard for school governors, a lanyard for visitors who are a trusted adult, which means they've been all the checks, and then there'll be one for non-trusted adults. So they were presenting this at the governor's meeting, and I just said, hang on a minute, we've got a desk there with a receptionist on, the school's all fenced off, it's near enough like a prison, you can't get into the school without the receptionist letting you in, and I was like, surely she's not letting anybody in who's not a trusted adult. And I was like, well, you know, she wouldn't be doing, but we think this lanyard's a good idea and we're going to train the children on what the different lanyards mean. So then my next question was, so you're giving them this training on lanyards. Are you going to tell them that only applies to school? So if they walk out of school and they see someone with, say, a green lanyard and that's a trusted adult, that outside of school they're no longer a trusted adult. Because I can see major safeguarding issues here if children just become conditioned to trust people in lanyards. In certain colour lanyards, no less. Do we have a special rainbow one? Because they're the really specially trusted adults, aren't they? Do, do they get a an even more special, special lanyard than the specialist of special lanyards? I don't know. Yeah, good one. So it, it took the school governor to point this out to the head teacher, presumably some members of the teaching staff and other governors. Is that right? Who was at yeah. this meeting? Yeah, is that a fair sample yeah. of who was present? Generally, who was at the meetings, there'll be all the governors. The council have snuck a representative in there saying, oh, we'll provide someone to take the minutes, <laughs> which we'll probably discuss something <laughs> later about her. And then there's usually a representative of the teachers. They can't always turn up. And then there'll be the head and the business admin of the school in the meeting. Business admin. I can remember happy days when there was no such position in a school. Business admin. My goodness me. Oh. So just uh, let's wind back a little bit. Just tell people how we started off with this horror story about your little one coming home saying, you can't touch my privacy or, or something around uh, toilet and bathing me. 
How exactly then did you become a governor? What made you decide from starting at that point to sit on a school board? Because presumably you do this for free. You have to show up for these meetings and you don't get paid. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So after I'd been to this parents' meeting, which was a year on from the first incident. The RSE one where there were yeah. five parents, two of whom were a lesbian couple wanting to make yeah. sure they were getting lots of extra attention. Yeah. Yep, lovely. <laughs> so, so the following day, again, I got another meeting with the head and I just I explained to her my concerns. And she was like saying, well, it's all about safeguarding and preventing abuse of children and stuff like that. And so then I was like, well, why are we bringing trans things up? And then so she said, well, the children might come across a trans person and it's about knowing to treat them with respect, etc. And I was like, well, but you can teach that without doing it the way that it's presented in that talk. I said, I'm a firm believer if you teach children to love and respect themselves, they'll teach others the same way. It's generally when children are feeling bad about themselves or there's something happening at home that they'll bully or be nasty to other people. Correct. Um, so I'm, I put that to her and she's like, well, we might end up with a trans child in the school and they need to be aware of it. And I was like, well, surely you would address that as it came up. You wouldn't just blankly tell everyone about it if it's not an issue. And wouldn't it be self-evident? Do you not think it would be there would be a right hoo-ha if a primary school child decided they were trans? I think every child in the school would know before first break, wouldn't they? I don't think we'd need any special announcements or anything like that. And also, isn't the whole point that we're not supposed to be special? Aren't we supposed to be the same and treat each other equally and fairly and decently? It's not supposed to be a special case, is it? So why is it? <laughs> I don't get it. Like it's, my, my logical brain doesn't do this. It doesn't work. <laughs> it, 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 this doesn't fit at all. Goodness me. What does she say? What does she say to that? On one hand, to be fair to her, she took what I said on board, but then it was like the company was in the school that day going to then speak to the children. So she's like, look, if you're not happy with it and it goes against your beliefs, you can pull her out of that talk if that's what you want. So then I said, right, yeah, I, I don't want to go into that. And from that point up until this year, she's not been to any of them. And then it was probably a month or so after that, the head emailed me and said, have you ever considered becoming a school governor? So then she started sort of trying to headhunt me to become a school governor. And why do you think she did that? I don't know, because I would have thought I would be the last person she would want. That's why I'm asking. I'm wondering if she's saying what she has to say because that's her script to your face. But actually, I'm wondering if she wants an ally. How old would you say this head teacher was about? She will be 40. Yeah, 40. interesting. Interesting. So she might be in that category of people that can sort of see through some of this trans indoctrination and all the rainbow flags, the LG other ones as well, maybe. I just thought it was a curious choice to ask yeah. the, the, par the parent who's ca effectively causing her, not problems, but you're causing her more work because she's got to have meetings with you. You're causing her extra bother and she's like, you know what, let's have this guy as school governor. Interesting choice. Very interesting yeah. choice, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I was just curious. Anyway, what happened? How did she get you? How did she persuade you? Well, it then went over a couple of months. It was like, oh, do you want to come to a meeting and see what happens in a meeting? So I did that. And at the time, they had probably quite an established board of governors with more older people on it, should I say. <laughs> so there, there was a lady on it who, she's a grandmother of 
two children in the school. There was like two older gentlemen from the village who I think they'd always been connected with the school. One of the older ones was probably a little bit more like me, where he would ask questions and he wouldn't let things go till he got an answer. So they sort of talked me into joining. And then we sort of went into COVID. Um, I think we probably had a couple of meetings before COVID. But then all the old ones then resigned. <laughs> so then it became like the Board of Governors now is probably got one person or what, maybe two of the same people on it. And one of them is part-time and he's looking, he's like said, look, as soon as you've got someone else, I'll hand my notice in type of thing. And what about the age? Has the age got older? Has the age got younger? The average age, would you say? The age has got younger, which isn't as concerning as the makeup of the people, <laughs> as far as I'm oh concerned. And by, and by, I, I don't know. Do tell. I've, Do tell. <laughs> I've used the wrong term of phrase. I don't mean makeup. I don't mean makeup. I mean the jobs that they're doing. Okay. They're all involved in education, which I think is a bad thing. Definitely. I think it's a good. Yep. I think it's a good thing to have a couple. They're all like, one's a school inspector. There's a few that work in schools. There's someone who works for the council. They're, they're, they're all sort of, for want of a better term, showing my working class roots here, they're all pissing in the same pot, let's put it put Yeah, it they're all way. insiders, aren't they? They're all, yeah. it's, it's like saying, oh, we're going to make sure this law society stays on track, but we're all members of the same club. It's like, well, hang on a minute. We need people who are paid by different, there may be someone who even, even works for themselves. We need people from, especially when it's a school, when we're dealing with, supposed to be dealing with the education of our young people, we must have a broad and varied governorship. I mean, isn't diversity one of the favorite words of, of these types of institutions? And then look at how, when they say diversity, though, they clearly don't mean from a diverse range of academic and non-academic backgrounds, do they? Diversity clearly means something else to them, does it not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so it would seem. That's the way I look at it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean they're all good people and they're all giving up the time but I just feel when you work well I've seen it if when you work in a school you can have a sort of programmed attitude to things and they often just don't think outside the box on certain things I've noticed but you better be careful because isn't your a good lady wife a teacher She's <laughs> not at that school <laughs> yeah best be careful what you say about teachers <laughs> yeah she's an English teacher She's probably not quite as far along as I am, but she's closer to me than most. So we just put it that way. Yeah. Is she a secondary school English teacher? She's a secondary school teacher, yeah. Yeah, fabulous. So when I'm up at night fretting about what secondary school our children are going to go to, she sort of reassures me and's like, yeah, I understand what you mean. But she goes, most children see through it all. And at her school, I don't know if it's just because the school she's at, it's in an area where it borderlines a rich, posh area, if you like, and a rough area. So it's got a mix of both children from good, wealthy backgrounds and children from sort of a poorer background. And she says the majority of children see through all this LGBT stuff for what it is. If only that was the only danger in schools, though, oh, right? Yeah, if yeah, it, that was yeah. the only problem. Uh, I often yeah. criticise people for talking purely about RSE with regard to the problems in schools, but uh, for th this is a particularly good one, I, I have to admit. And I, I know we've got a whole raft of things that you, you want to get through uh, this morning. So you ended up as a governor. You're still there. 
tell me about your experiences of looking at schools for your own children. What kinds of things have you been seeing around other people's schools? I always had it in my head that we we would send our children to a certain grammar school. And I've had that idea in my head for probably 10 years because I've known parents who had sent their children to this particular grammar school. It's got a really good reputation. It's in the top 15% of schools in England every single year. It wins local awards, blah, 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 all the usual things. So I'd sort of had that in my head. Just before COVID, there was an open day, a local private school. And I thought, ah, we'll go have a look at that. So me and the wife went to look at it. She's more of a traditional leftist. So it was like, this is against my principles, going to look at a private school, blah, blah, blah. I was like, we're just going for a look. I was like, we can't afford to send the children here anyway, but we'll go have a look. And honestly, my wife was nearly in tears going around, like they call it the prep school, which sort of be the primary section of it. And they was telling us how big the class sizes were and everything. So it's like comparing 12 to 15 being in a class to 30 to 34 being in a class. And it just seemed, it seemed like a loving environment and it seemed really nice. And if you were going to create what you thought a school would be in your mind, that's what you would do. So I was like, right, we've seen around this one. Let's go look at the other private school. We booked on, then COVID happened. So they cancelled theirs. And from that moment, I um, kept an eye on both schools. One of them's a bigger school than the other one. And the one we'd been to look around, I didn't see much nonsense put on social media from them. At this point, I was still on Facebook and Instagram. There was no kids in masks. There was no raising of a rainbow flag during June, is it? There was no, none of that. There were a few little questionable things, like at some talks they had where an outside company came in, but nothing too much. The other one, every single photo of the kid, even if it was on a, a school playing field and they're on their own, the kid had a mask on. See, that's child abuse to me. To me, that is, that's child abuse. Like muzzling a child is a no anyway. And I was saying this, you know, before they even brought the muzzles into the schools. It's very obvious that you're going to deprive a young mind, a young body of oxygen, but particularly outside on your own. I mean, I, I have zero tolerance for masks, particularly with regard to children. If stupid adults want to do stupid things, that's up to them. But with regard to, to me, that's abuse of children. And I can't believe that I haven't heard from a single social worker during the entire time of the scandemic. They're obsessed with safeguarding, aren't they? Well, how come they fail to safeguard the children when, when it really counted, when the bad guys were really uh, in the schools ordering children to put their muzzles on? That's my red line. Thou shalt not cross. I cannot believe that professional teachers didn't see the harm that that would do to children because they believed in some deadly virus that we, all, we knew at the start didn't affect children. Uh, I think they were yeah. being selfish. They were frightened for their own health because they're ignorant. My particular bugbear is with science teachers. I was very cross with both science and history. History should know better, should have learned from the past about you know, how to control people and totalitarian regimes. The, the history teachers, the history specialists should have been thinking, and so too should the scientists. Where were the science teachers? But above all, just any teacher looking at a child in a muzzle, what are you doing? What are you doing to children? For private schools, surely they must have had some more control than a local authority school. Wouldn't you have thought? You would have thought so, wouldn't you? And bearing in mind, 
Boris changed the rules on schools, so now grammar schools have to be <laughs> Ofsted inspected, but private schools still don't. And while I remember it, I will just want to point one thing out about private schools. When all, peop- all these people are bashing them, saying, oh, they should have to pay VAT and you shouldn't get tax breaks and all this, the vast majority of private schools are schools for SEND children, which people often forget. They just think it's... Yes, there is there's Eton and all the, those nonsense schools, but a lot of the private schools are for kids with special needs and things like that. So when you you think you're attacking Eton, you're also attacking them, which... Yeah, right. Good point. I think the people that have stirred up that, they know full well. It's just another one of these division tactics, isn't it? But I anyway, think so, yeah, for sure. I think you should have a right, if, if you wish to pay to, to send your child to a, a different type of school, I think you should absolutely have the right to do that. They even allow that in Germany. In yeah. Germany, you're not allowed to home educate. Home education is forbidden in Germany, probably in places like North Korea and China too, perhaps. But uh, yeah. it's definitely forbidden in Germany. But you're still allowed to send your child to a private school even there. So yeah, now I'm all in favour. And also, you get what you pay for. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, you really do. And if you've worked across different types of schools, which most parents haven't because it's not their area of expertise or whatever, if you've worked across different types, you, you would know that. You can see it. You can you listen to how you talked about the environment of that first private school. Yeah. yeah. The small class sizes, the family, the friendliness. Yep, there you go. You get what you pay for. Yeah, so that same school, the one that was masking the kids, there was also like rainbow flags. I'm going back to what's on social media. And then I can't recall exactly when it was, but they emailed me and said, oh, look, we're now allowing people back in for school visits. We've an open day this Saturday. Do you want to bring your daughter along? All we ask is that you give your daughter a lateral flow test on the day and she wears a mask. So I wrote back to Emma and I was like, are are you effing serious? You expect me to put my daughter through having a lateral flow test and then you want her to wear a mask just to come and look at your school so then I can give you £15,000 a year. Are you mental? And she was just like, well, it's, um, it's." I think she used the good old safeguarding and it's health form and of safety. Fascism. It's fascism, that's what it is, lady. You can't come in unless you stand on one leg, wear pink pants on your head and blow into this machine. Shut up, it's fascistic how dare you oh my god i i take it you didn't go no we didn't go (laughs) we didn't go but then (laughs) then we got a little bit of a blow or a black mark against the other private school that we went to look and going around it do you know like ofsted's supposed to be like the gauge of what a good or bad school is personally i go on the feel of when you're walking around a school you can tell if a school's bad And, and i'm i've said this numerous times in governor's meeting i'm at that meeting for the children i don't care about ofsted everyone else is like oh but what will ofsted think oh we we need to know this because we could get ofsted inspected soon i was just like i really don't care (laughs) Um, it's a culture of fear isn't it it's a culture of of total fear this ofsted thing that they're all terrified the ofsted monster that they're terrified of It, it blinds them to the most important thing which you're absolutely spot on is the children Without yeah. the children, there wouldn't be any of these jobs for anybody. It's supposed to be about them, not about you. And it just yeah. went, as you say, the feel. I've never felt uh, more endangered 
than when I was working in a so-called outstanding school, an Ofsted graded outstanding school in Cheshire, up in the northwest, the posh bit. In my opinion, that is the worst school I have ever worked in. And yet it was the one of the two that were outstanding classes, outstanding that I ever, ever worked in. And it was, it was dangerous. It was actually, and I even said to another member of staff when I was quite new there, I said, what happens during an Ofsted inspection? Because this behavior on the corridors, is actually dangerous to adults. It's dangerous, let alone other children. And uh, the senior teacher leant over and said to me, ah, during Ofsted inspections, we have the senior leaders all over the corridors. I'm like, oh, I, I see. <laughs> yeah, I'd worked in some rough schools that were classed as like failing or unsatisfactory or requires improvement and were in special measures. And there, there wasn't, you didn't need staff on the corridors. The, the, the children were behaving themselves. It's, yeah. Ofsted inspections are not all they're cracked up to be, are they? No, well, while we're just on that, that the uh, grammar school that I mentioned to you, that's in the top, well, to be, to be fair to both grammar schools and Errols, they're both always in the top 15%. But what there's one of them that's always getting awards and things like that. Uh, they were Ofsted inspected, and bearing in mind their average grades are seven, which we're supposed to believe is an A, is it? <laughs> There's something ridiculous like ninety-eight percent for getting five, five level fives and above, and all this. And there was Ofsted inspected, and no word of a lie. The inspector had the cheek to say the teachers didn't know how to teach the curriculum in that school when they're getting the results are like, wow. there isn't a school near within 100 miles getting as good grades. 98% of level five, lots of level five, five le level fives in five different subjects, including English and maths, that will be, I presume that's the measurement. That is excellent because a lot of places are trying to pass off a level four as a pass, which it isn't, by the way. But uh, and you can in mathematics, you can prove that. However, the if a school is able to get 98% of its students a level five or above in five, at least five subjects, including English and maths, that is a really, really high standard for the, compared with the rest of the country. I'm not saying yeah. it's high standard compared with 15 years ago or 25 yeah. years ago in our own country. But at, the mo at this moment in time, as a snapshot, yeah, that's, and, and this Ofsted inspector said that they, these people couldn't teach the curriculum. Yeah, it was How did one he support of, that? I can't recall. It's been a while since I read the report. But he downgraded, he didn't get outstanding. I think that one got good. It got a good score. And that was the justification for giving it good. I don't know how he's backed that up, that claim up. Not I enough just... indoctrination. There, there wasn't <laughs> enough talk about Arthur's and Martha's and rainbow flags, maybe. Maybe that's the part of the curriculum that was missing or Probably. not properly respected. Goodness Probably. me. Probably. Well, if you're able to get 98% with those kind of results at the GCSE, then you clearly are able to teach to a, a better standard than most of the rest of the country. At least the stuff that we're still examining is still still assessing, i.e. Yeah. academic things. Goodness me, that's shocking. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for telling me. Yeah, so and <laughs> that particular school, we, we've been to their most recent open day. The two grammar schools um, that we've, we've been looking at, one of them is very open. I can't remember what day it is. One day a week, you can book to go look around that school and you can go as many times as you like. It's usually the head boy or head girl who takes you around or it'll be someone who's, oh, what do they call them? A six Prefect former. Or yeah, six oh, form, oh, yeah, a prefect it'd be or like, a six former. Yeah. yeah, it'd be six formers. They'll, they'll show you around the school and the head or the assistant head will meet you after the talk. You can ask any questions. And they also have an open evening every year. The other one, 
the one that I've had in my head for 10 years is this amazing school is very closed. <clears throat> you could only go once a year. They don't do school tours. They have this open evening once a year and it is absolute carnage. We went to it. I've, it was unbelievably busy and we were just in shock as we walked around. I'd seen something, tried to ignore it, ignore it. And my wife nudged me, she's like, did you see that? And I was like, yeah, I did see it. And what it was, there seems to be this, a little bit of a craze in schools now of doing what they call graffiti art type things. And in one part of the playground was BLM sprayed oh. on one of the walls and then it underneath said Black Lives Matter. Um, and then there was some like rainbow flags sprayed all around on the like a, a multi sports pitch, which could be used for football or netball and all that type of thing. It looked like it was used during play times. That had rainbow flags. And I think that had something like, I don't know if it was no place for racism or kick it out. Some one of those, which I'm not as concerned of those. It was more the Black Lives Matter thing. And there was a picture of someone that had been graffitied on again that looked like George Floyd. I don't know if it was supposed, supposed to be him or not. Anyway, we, <laughs> we, this was bad enough and I was just like, oh my God, I thought this school was amazing. My daughter's got a friend who's going there who's she's likely to get in. So she was like, got, now got her, I've built this school up, she's got a heart set on it. And as we're walking around, I'm like, He's not really coming here. No way. Went down <laughs> one of the corridors and there's like loads of stuff about climate change on the walls. And then bearing in mind, this school's tagline is something along the lines of, we only want free thinkers. It's, this isn't it. It's something like this. We only want free thinkers. We want children who can think for themselves. We want Goodness me. We want, we want questioning minds and stuff like this. And yet it's got all this nonsense all around the school. And then we went to the heads talk and the heads giving it all the you it's a relatively new head to the school no she's not new to the school she's someone who's been promoted within the school okay but she's a new she's new in so the it's head her, role. her first headship then isn't it yeah 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 okay. so she's giving it all the spiel oh we're <laughs> we're a divide a diverse school it's it's all about the individual school the individual child's need and needs and we build a curriculum around them like you you said on that those three evening talks rescue your children the, yeah when i teach parents how to actually build a curriculum around yeah. their individual child as opposed to a school that only has so many classrooms and so many teachers yeah. and therefore can only offer so many things right <laughs> yeah so, so she she's giving it all this and then um <laughs> oh it's all about the individual child and all this type of stuff I'm like yeah fair enough so we left that and then we started going around some more of the classrooms. We get into an art, art classroom and then um, my wife's like, oh, this is quite a big room, this. And she goes to the art teacher, like, oh, how many kid, kids would you have in here? And both my wife and I naively thought it would be similar to the private school. We thought you would be nearer 15 than you would be thir 32. Two. I think my wife says the math. She can have up to 32, but the maximum she's ever had in a class is 31 at, at her school. And the, the teacher was like, oh, it'll be 34. And I was like, you what, 34 in this? So then obviously the room then looks a lot smaller to 34. And I was like, well, how do you cater for each individual child's needs when there's you, one art teacher, and there's 30, 34 kids? Yeah. 
<laughs> the, the maths isn't adding up, is it? <laughs> no. So then, so me and my wife were having a little bit of a, a challenge. Like, how the hell does this school get such good results with so many kids in the class? I was like, is it because they're selecting the best kids at 11 and those kids would just naturally do really well? Or is it the school's really good? Because this school is a very difficult one to get in. You have to pass the, not only do you have to pass the 11 plus, you have to get a very good score, especially if you don't live in the town where this school is. If so you're they're, cream, of, they're creaming off, aren't they? They're creaming off yeah. the top kids. That's what you do. Just said it there. If, if, if you, ha- you have to pass and you have to get a good pass, especially if you're not from the area, to get in, then yeah, they're picking the best kids in the first place. So yeah. it gives you a, a hell of a, a head start, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they actually had, I can't believe um, this stuff about rainbows on, like actually sprayed onto the sport, the AstroTurf, the sports pitches. Is that right? And BLM yeah. and stuff. Yeah. This is where all this graffiti type stuff is where the kids would be playing. They might yeah. do some PE lessons, but it wouldn't sure. be where they were competing because they have to have a separate, a separate yeah, well, sports you can't. facility. You, you can't because the laws of association football, I'm going to do my boring referee bit here. The laws of association football say you can't have markings on, on the pitch, on the field of play. There, there can't be yeah. any extra markings because if goalkeepers can get yellow carded for making little, little marks on the six-yard line to give them an idea of where their goalposts are behind them. So yeah, yeah you, can't, you definitely can't have rainbows sprayed everywhere. Goodness me. Ugh. Ugh. I, can't, I, want to not, I want to not believe it, but I, the evidence is so overwhelming. I get emailed weekly by parents just like yourself. I was particularly interested in your story, though, because you have the school governor angle. Could you tell me a little bit about what's going on with regard to the money problems that schools are, are facing now and this concept that schools are frightened of becoming bankrupt, that they're having to write business plans and get those scrutinised, literally to do with the funding of the schools. What is it you're seeing there? Well, until I became a school governor, I never understood how much work the head and like the I think it's business administration or something, the title that's given to it within the school. I never realised how much work they actually had to do. So I, I do feel for them and I can see how they do just go, or trust the experts on things because they're short of time. They've got so much to do. They're having to balance. Not only do they have to balance the budget for the year, they have to balance it for the for this year and two years going forward. So they have to have what's, I think they call it a three-year budget. So then if there's any sort of potential deficits or a pr- real deficit showing on the balance sheet, they then have to liaise with the local authority. Um, one, we're trying to get more money out of them. But the local authority will only do that as a last resort. They're sort of looking, right, how can we cut costs? So over the years, the local authority has come back with a number of ways on how they can cut costs. It started with sort of fairly benign ones with, oh, cut down on your printing, that type of stuff. Get staff to bring the coffee and tea in and the milk. That's those types of things. But that's really it, good for morale. That's yeah, a, yeah. Uh, interesting tactic. That's definitely from a bean counter, not from a, a someone who has to manage people. <laughs> yeah, which I don't think the head. I don't think the head took that on board. I think they actually bring it in themselves of their own accord. Yeah, and it was like keeping a better control of bloody pencils and that. Do you know that type of thing? But then it's it gradually ramped up, and it's like, well, you've got some quite expensive teachers 
the term expensive, not experienced teachers here. You've got some quite experienced teachers here. Maybe you could encourage them to look for a role elsewhere and then get some NQTs in to replace them. And NQTs uh, for people who are not side out who are not from the UK, these are newly qualified teachers. They're people straight out of teacher training school. Uh, and they come in a variety of different shapes, sizes, and standards, let's just say. These are people yeah. who've never actually taught professionally full-time in a classroom ever before. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's any st- statistics on how long NQTs actually last, but within our school, there's been three in the time I've been at the school. Under One five la- years. It's usually, most of them don't make it to five years. Yeah, there was one who, to be fair to her, was an ex. She was a very promising, going to look like a very good teacher, did lots of extra work. She lasted two years, but two those two years were over COVID, so she never actually did a full school year. Another one lasted a year, and then there was one who she applied for a job for another role she was third, I was sat in on the interview. She was third on my list out of three people. But then a, ro- a temporary role came up within the school, so they didn't, have, they didn't have to involve the governors. She got given the role, and she lasted six weeks. So Should have I listened d- to I, the governors. <laughs> so I, d- I don't know if that's an ongoing trend with NQTs, but they don't. It certainly to- is. Yeah, it's a known thing. Mo- I don't know the percentages, but it's something ridiculously high. It could be as much as 80% of newly qualified teachers don't make it to five years. There's a yeah. massive, some of it's burnout, some of it's because they weren't right for the job in the first place, some of it's just because they're not good enough. They look right, but you get them in front of the children and they usually they can't control the class is the main, um, the main problem. Uh, goodness me, that's shocking. So they're actually suggesting that you help experienced teachers, that they call expensive teachers, experienced teachers to find a job somewhere else so that you can replace them with somebody who doesn't know how to teach yet. Because a lot of teaching you learn on the job, whether you're professionally qualified or not. You can't, there's no substitute for standing in front of 30 kids five, six hours a day, five days a week, 38, 39 weeks of the year. You can't replicate that during training, not in terms of intensity or in any way. Uh, Yes, you do a bit of teaching practice in your final training year, but it's nothing like the real thing at all as the statistics show, but this is a, a scary thing, isn't it? We're not, we're not just talking about pencil pinching here. We're on about replacing people who can actually teach with people who categorically cannot. And crucially, will only hang around for one to three years, maybe five at best. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? It, it, it is, yeah, yeah. And, and they've also might, encouraged... Might balance the budget, though. Yeah, yeah, it might do. <laughs> and it, it's sort of like encouraged, you know, if there was anyone close to retirement, they nudged the business admin into going down to four days instead of five. So now they're doing a lot of the work at home in the free time because the, re- the reason they do the job is because they care about the school. Most primary schools are the part of the community, aren't they? They're, so she's do, they're doing the job more for love than money. But like they suggested, right, I'll go down to four days. It'll save the school paying me for one of the days. So that type of thing is going to try and cut the budget. Um, one thing I didn't realize till I started looking, so, till, until more of the extreme stuff came in and when the teacher strikes were going on, I didn't realize until I've got a colleague at work, he's, his wife's a teacher and she was one of the striking ones, but she wasn't striking for pay. She was striking because the government had cut funding to schools 
And I think it, I might get the figures wrong. It was something like it used to be 5% of GDP. Now it's 3.5% of GDP, something like that. That was the reason her and a lot of her colleagues were striking was because of the government cutting the funding to schools rather than the pay. So that big cut in funding as everything's been increasing is putting schools in a position where it's like they're going to go bankrupt or what's sort of been exposed at, a, at one of the governor's meetings when there was someone, a representative from the council there that want all schools into academies by 2030. Now that day, 2030 is cropped up again. I don't know why, what it is about that date, but they're like, we want all schools in academies by 2030. And she Agenda did say... 2030. Yeah. <laughs> she did say it's not law, but that's the way they want you to go. Now, the, this latest measure they've proposed, I still have trouble believing it. And I'll send Sarah the email so she can see this, what they're proposing and how preposterous it is. The latest idea is combining classes. So there'd be three classes. And the example that was put to the school, and it's not just our school, that's why I'm saying this, because I've spoke to other governors and it's happening in other schools. Well, not happening. It's not happening. There's a big pushback against it, thankfully. And thankfully, I wasn't the first governor to say, hang on a minute, I'm not signing that off. Because it was the first we heard about this was it came round on a to all governor's email, can you sign this off? It needs signing off before tomorrow at five o'clock. And as it turned out, it wasn't actually this thing that wanted sign, signing off. It was something else within the email. And we took it as, hang on a minute, we're not signing off on that. The proposal that's come from the local authority is combining three classes. And the example they gave was year three, four, and five. Year three, Year four, you would take the lower children, put them into year three. You'd take the upper children and put them into year five, which I would think would be bad enough. Have those combining, making three classes into two and then having a teacher each. Well, that's not the idea. The idea is that they would have each class. So we've got now got three classes into two. Each class would have a TA in the classroom with them. And then they would be taught via Zoom, Google or Apple TV by one teacher. That's their idea. So they're like, well, we're saving money because we're getting rid of two teachers. Teaching assistants are much cheaper than teachers. And there's a good reason for that. (laughs) That's just just reminded me that what they did last year, sorry, I forgot this. What they did last year, prior to last year, now I don't know if this was law, but the way I was led it to believe, the reason they could increase the class size to like 32 or 34 was because they gave the teacher a TA. So it's like, you've got, there's now two of you in there so you can deal with a bigger class. But one's not a teacher. Yeah. Uh, I, had a, I had a TA once who, who was put into my year nine mathematics class. So we're talking 13-year-olds, right? And it was a, it was a bottom set. It had 50% uh, special educational needs in this class. We weren't even at SEN school. 50%, half the kids in that class had a statement. Uh, and some of them had the EHCP plans or whatever. They were the, uh, they were the lower yeah. level of um, special. Anyway, this teaching assistant came in and I asked her to take the, there was one girl that was like an out, uh, literally a statistical outlier, even from this low set. She couldn't do adding and subtracting in columns. And we were supposed to be doing percentages to do with money. 
percentage increase, percentage decrease money. If you can't add and subtract in columns, that's just not going to happen, especially without a calculator. So I very politely asked this, this TA that I'd been given to take this little girl to the library to help her learn how to add and subtract in columns to that lesson whilst I taught percentages in the context of money to the rest of the class. And I got reprimanded for that because I put too much pressure on the TA. The head of the special educational needs unit came round to my classroom going batty, saying that it's very difficult adding and subtracting in columns. She's only been at the school a week. I'm thinking this is a woman of about 55 years old who's being paid by the school. Your taxes, my taxes, is being paid by the school to come and assist in a year nine mathematics class. And she can't add and subtract money, uh, sorry, add and subtract digits in columns. I wasn't even asking her to do the decimal stuff literally just adding numbers in columns, subtracting numbers in columns. And that was too difficult. Ladies and gentlemen, this was not an isolated incident either. Many, many of these teaching assistants are not up to it. They they don't even have the, the, the basic skills themselves, let alone any of the teaching ability or experience. That's not the same for all TAs, but it, uh, in my experience, the majority. Absolutely scandalous. Oh, goodness, you, you set me off. <laughs> you set me <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so last year's money saving thing, back to the TAs, where it used to be one in every class. It was, well, this is what it was at our school, one in every class. In some classes, there may be two uh, if the child was, I don't know how the score, the SEND, but if it was deemed bad enough to need one-to-one T. I mean, they have to be really bad to get this because there are many in our school that need addition, they need one-to-one support, but they, they can't get it because there's not the funding there. Then I, wa- I wonder why that is, because we never used to have this. I can't, we used to have, we didn't even have a teaching assistance at all in, in, in classes when I was at school. And I went to the local comp. I'm from a council estate. My father was a binman. I went to the local high school. I haven't had any kind of privileged education by any stretch of the imagination. And yet I've ne- we, we didn't have teaching assistants in any classes. Uh, I don't understand why there's so many children that all of a sudden, quote unquote, need it. I think they're, well, I've got some ideas. But um, yeah, it's something is, is rotten, isn't it? Something is yeah, rotten. Yeah, and I, a lot of those children, I think it does a disservice to them being in a normal school. I don't think they're getting proper care and attention that they actually need. But going back to the TAs, so they went from one in each class to, I think, can't remember if they got rid of one or two. And I was like, we're now going to have floating TAs. <laughs> oh, no. Unless there was one-to-one re- pay yeah. for and require. Yeah. Yeah, oh, my yeah. goodness. Oh, we're going to float them. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. how to make a really bad situation even worse. Yeah, but that's not, I've got to stress, that's not come from the school. That's the local authority. That's, and it, <laughs> Who's in charge of the school, effectively, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah the, the, oh, the head, wow. The head is effectively managing it for the local authority. Goodness I mean, me. I mean, I used to believe like the heads, the be all and end all, they're controlling running the school, but they're not. No. If it's local authority, they're managing it for a local authority. If it's an academy, they're managing it. I don't even think, are they called heads anymore? In academies, I'm not sure. Direct, probably director or something yeah, now, isn't it? Yeah. What, what yeah. Is, what's the scam then with the academy thing? You mentioned earlier that they're trying to get all, they, by 2030, that date, by 2030, the schools must want, we want the schools to be academies. What do you think's the scam there, though? It must be, it must be something to do with money, is it? Like, what's the plan, do you think? I, I, I appreciate you might have to speculate because they might not have shared, shared the evil plan with you, but what's the advantage of how is this going to save money or 
How is this going to solve financial problems by becoming an academy? I'm not 100% sure. Um, Me neither. All I would say, and I would advise anyone listening to to do, do this and see what you make of it, go to Company's House and type in Delta Academy and look at their latest financial statement and look at the surplus that they're showing on their budget when we have hundreds, if not thousands of schools potentially going bankrupt and just look how much money they're showing on their balance sheet. How can the likes of Delta and all these other academies be making such a surplus while other schools are going to the wall? I'm not 100%. I think it might just be a little bit like the NHS scam where Labour sold off the hospitals built new hospitals, but then didn't tell anyone the new hospitals were actually rented off a corporation. I think it might just be the government's way of trying to get rid of a burden. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. It's, it is pure speculation, but there's something very Who's very funding fishy. these academies? Where's the money coming from? For, for De- Let's take Delta Academy. Who's funding them, do we think? Or do we, does it say? The funding comes direct from government. If you're an academy, I think it bypasses the local authority. This is the way it's, it's been told to me in a, in a meeting. Because we recently, the head handed the notice in. So we had to have an extraordinary governor's meeting to like, how are we going to cope with this? And we got sent out the minutes for this extraordinary meeting. And item number one, what do you think item number one should have been on a meeting to discuss the resignation of a head? <laughs> should, well, item num- <laughs> should item number one be discuss the possibility of becoming a federation or academy that no. was item number one <laughs> on the agenda so the first thing I said when this means started I was like who the F in hell has put this on this agenda because I said I've been here five or six years the idea of this school becoming an academy has never even been mentioned and now it's item number one on an on a extraordinary governor's meeting agenda. Who's put it on? And then this secretary who works for the local authority puts her hand up. I've got to admit, I've put that on there. Ah, I you th- mentioned her earlier. She's come yeah. back out. About, yeah, you said that would come back in. Go on. She's like, I thought it would be a good time to discuss it. And because it was a discussing a regulation of a head, there was this two more representatives who worked for the council there. I can't remember their exact roles, but they were there to sort of advise on the process of how you what you have to follow when when appointing a new head. One of them was Right. I don't, yeah. I, one of them was sort of like, do you know um you have your annual review? Like teachers will have an annual review review done by a head. The mm-hmm. head will yeah. have an annual annual review maybe done by another head. Like performance it, management meeting yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like it, that. It was, it was the representative that does her performance management meetings. She was gotcha. there and then there was someone who deals with recruitment for the council. So they're there to say, oh yeah, this is the procedure to follow. So then once the secretary made, ah, it was me, they then piped up, well, it is a good idea to consider it, considering the government wants all schools to become academies by 2030. To which I was, the government can want what it wants, but we've never discussed this before. Why at this, which could be considered a stressful time, are we bringing this issue up? 
Now, thankfully, everybody else who was a governor was like, no, we're dead against this. We don't want the school to become an academy, blah, blah, blah. So it was sort of boxed off a little bit. I do feel it's going to rear its head again, especially when it becomes to looking at doing like a financial meeting and we're looking at the budget again. But we did sort of get a little bit quashed at that meeting. But it was just the idea that the representatives from the council are pushing that forward in a meeting, which should have been nothing to do with that. And it not only was the pushing it, it wasn't like the brought it up in any other business. It's, it was item number one on an agenda for a meeting where the heads handed a notice in. Why do you think the other governors were so resistant to the idea of an academy? What was the feeling there? What were the thoughts there? One wasn't out and out no, but was like, they were like, well, maybe if, I think they call it a federation would work. Now, there is a federation locally where, which has worked where two smaller schools have merged. So they share one head, one business admin. Now, I don't know if, there are, is there, if there's anything more than that. That type of thing I could see working. With, when they say two, work, they're talking purely financially, aren't they? They're not on about, is this good for the kids? Does this, this seems to me to be, is this good for the teaching staff? Is this good for, this sounds to me like it's worked. This is some sort of bean counting or, or balance yeah, sheet yeah. exercise to me. Yeah, it, it could just be that. I mean, I do, I do know my daughter's got some friends that go to one of those schools and the school from the outside looks like a decent school. <laughs> but yeah. So why do you think the LA are so keen? Why do you think the local authority is so eager to shut? Is it do they want to get rid of the the school because it's an expense? So if they if the local authority persuade your school to become an academy, then they get funded centrally from the DFE, Department for Education. Then the local authority gets this burden off its balance sheet. Is 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 it something like that? Yeah, I think it is exactly that. I think they just want to wash the hands risk. of it. Yeah, like let's get rid of this. Not particularly our school. I think it's the one that with all schools because if you Sure. Sort of look, if you look at all the secondary schools, the vast majority of them are now are academies. And sure, well, the, they, the lady said it in the meeting, didn't she? She said, yeah. the government wants. They didn't say that we, the local authority, want. They said the government wants. So she's obviously mouthpiecing for the government. Were there any governors who were strongly against academies? And, it, and if so, why? Did you manage to probe that? Or The main reason was because they're from like, the village. And it was like, well, no, it's a lot local school, local people, local shop, local people type thing. It was like, no, the local community should have control of this school. We don't want like a big corporation coming in and like... Right, And, then, and, right. and there was also what, there was a teach, the, te the, the teaching representative was at the governor's meeting as well. So she was like, well, look, yeah, if it becomes an academy, I could get sent to work anywhere. Which that, that happened to my wife dur during the COVID madness she's a secondary sc school teacher she got sent the 35 miles away from where she normally works to work in a primary school so that type of thing it might be rare but that can happen in an academy so that that was one of the re reasons the teacher teaching rep was against it the rest was because although i said before this there might be a um a bit of a lack of diversity in thinking they are all local people, so they, they do. Although they no, might not be able I to, think they're they, right. they be, yeah, they might not be able to see what's best for the school at certain times, but they do want the best for the school. 
I think keeping it in local hands is, I think the more power we keep in our own hands locally, the better, the more centralised things become. I mean, what a nightmare. Can you imagine? Imagine if you're a primary school teacher used to dealing with year three children, year four children, and you get sent to an inner city dive of a barn pot school and you're asked to teach uh, 16-year-olds where you have no credibility and no respect whatsoever, nor should you have, because those children have never seen you before. That's just a recipe for disaster. It's da- in fact, it's dangerous uh, yeah. because you can't assume that the school that you're used to teaching in is going to be anything like the one that you've been sent to by this academy system. You mentioned corporation. You mentioned the key word there as well uh, with regard to academies. What's this corporation angle? What's the concern there? Is it that corporations have some kind of sway or influence perhaps over these academies or what's the concern? When you become part, all the academies are, are owned by the corporation, aren't they? Now, I don't, they might not be sat, set up like you, your average lit, limited business. But if, say, you've got 100 schools in a corporation, that corporation is making a massive surplus. You have to call it a surplus because of its status. A normal company would be considered profit. But a surplus and a profit are the same thing. Um, right. You get a massive surplus, it just means you can pay the people mm-hmm. at the top even more money. And an idea... This is just an idea that popped into my head. It might have come from somewhere else. I don't know. But it would be a lot easier if the government decided, right, now all children are going to be taught via AI or are going to be taught at home on Zoom. It's a lot easier to convince one corporation, look, we'll give you X amount. This is how we want it to be done than it is to convince a thousand individual schools um, to go along with that. Back in my day, I threatened to resign if our local community school became an academy. And it was because the idea was openly being talked about in the staff room where with our kind of school, because it was a local community school serving a very poor area, it served a council estate where we had sort of three, four generations of unemployed people, generations, third third or fourth generation unemployed. And it was a very, very hardworking school. Most of the teaching staff cared about it enormously. Most of the children cared about the school enormously. And the idea was that knowing our look, we'd get bought out by Amazon. We'd become an Amazon Academy type thing. Not that there were any at the time and there might not be now, but they'd end up uh, putting, you know, how to stick Amazon cardboard boxes together on the curriculum because that would suit the business doubly. So not only are they making the profits, creaming off the profits of the actual running the systems of various schools, but then you can influence the curriculum. So the kids end up learning, you know, whatever it was the business gurus wanted, wanted plebs to do rather than actually becoming educated to any kind of respectable standard. That was being talked about. That's over, over 10 years ago now. Yeah. Whether those kinds of ideas were being put forward. Too crazy, too out there, or is it possible in the future? I don't <laughs> Anything's possible, isn't it? Anything's possible. Anything's possible. It, it's, it's very similar to what they did with council housing, isn't it? They got all the council housing off local authorities' books, practically gave it away to corporations set up as registered providers, and it seems like they're following that model with the schools, get rid of them. Rather than seeing it as an asset on the balance sheet, they're seeing it as a liability. Um, so they're probably, they'll be convincing local authorities to get rid of them. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was incentivizing them in some way to get rid of them. And since when was running a school about making a profit? Wasn't what weren't schools supposed to be about educating children back in the the land before time? You know when the dinosaurs roamed and all of that. 
I mean, I yeah. thought, like, like you, aren't schools supposed to be where we educate children? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Disgusting. Exactly. I want to I want to finish. Thank you so much for all of the awesome information that you've shared with everyone this morning. I, I've been so desperate to have this uh, podcast with you because we've been exchanging emails for quite some time now, and they're often long. Uh, we have lots to say. Uh, and the, the info you're providing is absolutely fantastic. And thank you for doing the job that you're doing. It's great to have somebody who's awake and alert, who's on the inside, pulling information out of these, well, I call them indoctrination centers, but for now, we'll call them governor's meetings for the indoctrination centers. But thank you for doing that, because I know it takes up quite a lot of your time. And you're a volunteer at the end of the day. It's a difficult job and uh, power to you for getting in there and trying to put a stop to some of the harms and the ills that are going on. But I'd just like to finish up with the exams because I believe your wife is an English GCSE examiner. And I'm sure you have a, I've been focusing on the GCSEs in maths, as you know, over the last few weeks, because I've been ranting about the uh, abysmal standards. But um, you've got some other information, I think, that your wife has passed on. Would you be able to just dig into that for us to finish off? Yeah, no problem. Just before that, on the academies, I forgot to mention when we were talking about the grammar school. One of the grammar schools, the one that had hailed for like 10 years as this great and wonderful grammar school, has become a selective academy. Its website address and everything is still grammar school, but when you dig into it, it's become an academy and a selective academy. And just this year, they've started changing the the, um, admissions criteria where now SEND children get priority well, there was something else that brought in. I can't remember what the other thing was. Do those but, SEND children have to still pass the 11 plus though first? They have to not? pass. They, they have to pass, but they only have to get to pass. Uh-huh, Where, I see. So, I see. so they'll, they'll have like an order of things. It'll be like SEND and then it'll probably be um, children from care, armed forces, workers. Then next on the list might be like local children. And as you get further and down that list, you have to score higher and higher to get to get into the school. Yeah, I'd forgotten to mention now that's become academy an academy, and I only found out this week, and I was quite surprised. It sounds like for, almost like for, now that schools are businesses and all that, it sounds almost like false advertising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I only found out this week, and my daughter's registered to sit the eleven plus at this school. Because you have to register like nine months before, sure, yeah, before the actual exam. Goodness me, goodness me! On the GCSEs, you've mentioned—I can't remember if it was on your podcast or in some of your videos—about like your average teacher wouldn't know how to mark the exam in the way that an examiner would. My wife's been in a uh, GCSE English examiner for about six years, I think. Every year, she has to go on a two-day training course. <gasps> so, so she goes away and they go through the criteria, what annotations you have to put put on the papers to justify the marks. She is actually a team leader, so that might be why she goes away and it's not done on Zoom. So she does all that. She's sort of team leader, so that's she'll have so many under her. So during the normal marking, they do what they will put an odd random one in there that's been pre-marked so they know the score it should get. So if the teacher doesn't get that wrong, it'll flag up and the band from marking that question until yeah, they've that's gone. A, it's gone. called a validity item. It's called validity. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. same thing. So it's, it's a, a question that looks like a student has answered it. And a student has answered it. But the problem is it's already been marked by the principal examiner. So they know exactly what mark that, that question should get. And they're testing you without you knowing you're being tested to make sure you mark it the exact same way. Yeah, same yeah. in maths. Yep. Yeah, so, so if they get you wrong, the mark on that question, then my wife has to, as well as marking her own papers, she also has to then, if they get stopped, go through why they've stopped, explain what they've done, blah, blah, blah. So she does that for GCSE, the GCSE English papers in sort of the same time you was doing the maths. Was it, is it June, July, that time? Yeah. But now she's marking what the, what was previously termed a remark. That's where you think your paper's been marked unfairly or it, you've, the, the mark you've got is not what were, was expected, so you can ask for the paper to be remarked. In reality, you're unlikely to ever see your paper, so you you can't possibly know if it was marked fairly or not unless yeah. you've asked to see the script. So what they what normally happens is a school will see that you're one mark or two marks or three marks away from the next grade up, and they'll automatically put in for a remark because if the examiners happen to find an extra two or three marks, that's another child who's passed as opposed to failed, or another child yeah. who's got an A as opposed to a B. In most yeah. cases, remarks tend to be almost auto put in by school. Sometimes parents put them in, but often that's a bad idea because if you're more than one, one or two away, in mathematics, if you're more than one or two marks off, forget it. Forget yeah. it. You're not going to get it. You're not. The, the, the marking is too accurate uh, for yeah. that. In subjects where there might be more subjectivity, perhaps, but for us, definitely not. If you're two marks or more away, I wouldn't bother in maths. But anyway, go ahead. What's the latest from English? Yeah, so so they've rebranded the remark as in review. It's now called a review. So, Ooh. and they've changed the terminology. So it's like, I can't, it's something like, is this mark reasonable? And the way they justify the reasonable depends on how many marks the question is worth and would depend on whether you can give it a different mark. So it could be, but it could, there could be like a four mark spread and that could still be deemed reasonable. And my wife did get pulled up just recently because she saw an answer and she was like, this is a 16 mark answer all day of the week, twice on Sundays, and it's been given 14. So the system would not allow her to mark it as 16. The only way she could get the mark put up would to put it as 17. Why? Why won't it let her give two marks more? Why is it? Why because, she got be, to because, give? Because the two marks more would be within the what's deemed reasonable. It's been reasonably marked. So they're saying the the error, the margin for error, has not been met, or oh. it's not been exceeded. Um, but there is an now, error. <gasps> there is an error. Oh. Yeah. That's terrible. That doesn't happen in maths. It can't because obviously you're right yeah. or wrong. But yeah. <gasps> so she she then. <sighs> Whether this this paper no. might have been one that was purposely put in. A valid, validity item. It's a validity yeah, to, item, isn't it? Yes, a test. Yeah, to trap <gasps> people like my wife. So, so, to so trap she, the examiners. So then she got the slap on the wrist. No, you. It, it wasn't within the scheme, but she was like, look, it's a 16 mark question. It's all day 16 marks. That could be the difference between a grade. She's like, she said, if this, if. Yes. If the, the paper had been marked two marks wrong on every single question, that's the difference between a whole grade. It's not just like you're a couple of marks off a, an A or an A star. You could have got a B and it could be an A. 
It's like a Absolutely. full, it's a full range of marks. Yeah, so that's what's going on with the reviews. Oh, I don't English. get to see that because I'm not an English examiner, but wow, thank you. What an insight. I got, you can tell your wife it's fine. I got into trouble as well. I got done for, um, I, I was in trouble for not giving full marks for a question where the answer wasn't fully correct. In mathematics, um, almost every question you have to have mark for accuracy, an A mark, an A1. And I cannot give you the accuracy mark unless, obviously, you have been accurate. So if yeah. you don't have the fully correct answer, then my understanding, I, I'm a 10-year examiner. I've been marking GCSEs for 10 years. I can't give you that mark. I can't give you full marks if you're not accurate, if your answer is not fully correct. Well, this year, I didn't award full marks and got into trouble for not awarding full marks, even though the answer was not fully correct. One more point. Well, just one more point on that on the remarks, which I just remembered, if the mark is deemed reasonable, if, sorry, the overall grade is deemed reasonable after it's been reviewed, the school or parent has to pay for that remark or review, sorry. If it isn't deemed re reasonable and the grade's changed, then AQA have to foot the bill for the review. So I've said to my wife, do you think that's the reason why they're being so... I don't know, stingy tie with the remarks. It's not probably, but you're not doing the job properly, are you? Yeah. If it's like, yeah, that kid should have got 16. If they thought was worth a 16, that kid should have got a 16. We don't have that in maths because it's very, very simple as to what is full marks and what isn't. More so than in English, there is no opinion. There's no, um, yeah. there's no, in English literature, for example, you can argue all day about this poem or that poem and the imagery or whatever. But in maths, you can't. But we would always give it, if you see something that's been marked incorrectly, we'd always award it. We don't get told, oh, you have to do it within a range. We have none of that. We just give it exactly what it is and they sort it out yeah. later, I suppose. Be very interesting to find out there. I mean, this is something that could be coming into our subject. Maybe this is something that's being trialed. Is it new for this year? Is this a new development in English? I'm wondering if this is coming to maths even. I don't uh, know. I think it's fairly new and um, she's not normally done as many remarks as she's done this year she's only sort of helped out right at the end do, do you know where they're right. struggling to get all the papers done but done in time she's only ever done a few then but this time she's remarking reviewing a lot more so she's noticed and getting pulled up on things that she hadn't previously been pulled up on Previously, she would just mark it as if she was marking it the first time. Right. And, and it, so and the, if, the politics is applied later. The politics yeah. is being applied further down the stream, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness me. Oh, it must have been a nightmare. An absolute yeah. nightmare for her. I don't envy her that role at all. Goodness me. I've been avoiding the team leader job for about five years. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know I just, well, I'm just going to get into trouble because I'm going to tell the truth. You know what I'm like? I'm just going to say it yeah. and I'm going to get into loads of trouble. So I keep my mouth shut. I'm just an ordinary soldier. I'm very, very happy to be an ordinary examiner. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just keep marking the papers and keep exposing what they're up to. Anyway, listen, thank you so much for the amount of time you've spent with us this morning. I really appreciate this quality information. And I know there's probably another whole podcast that we could make because there's so much stuff that you've sent me over the last year or so in particular. Uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners will appreciate you too. And I very, very much look forward to speaking to you in the not too distant future. The Secret School Governor, thank you very much. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. 
Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination. 